This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What a powerful morning. Are you happy to be at church today? Yeah, me too. Me too. What a great place to spend Sunday morning. Uh, Listen, for those of you who are brand new, uh, welcome to a crazy gang. Yes, we have such a great time. Uh, I used to cry when, and I still do from time to time when the worship team is is singing so beautifully, but this morning I was moved to tears, standing in the back, listening to all of you sing about the fact that you are sons and daughters of God. That's just awesome. If we could live in that reality day in and day out. It would do some really amazing things on the inside of us. And if you walk away this morning and that's all you get from church, um, that's an awesome thing. Um, So, welcome to church. My name is Ron. I am on the pastoral staff. Um, As New Life's founding pastor, it has been my joy and privilege to speak to you for the last four weeks in a row. It's been an awfully lot of fun for me. We have uh, explored uh, some really fun stuff together. Today we're going to wrap up the series on belonging, believing, and behaving, and and we're actually going to talk about behavior today. So if you came to church expecting the pastor to shake his bony finger at you and tell you all the things that you should be doing and all the things that you should not be doing You might be a little bit disappointed today, um, but I am going to talk to you about the source of our behavior, Uh, and that's going to be a whole lot of fun. So uh, as I was praying this morning about our time together as a church, uh, both those of all of you who are here for the first time and have never been to New Life, and those of you who come here all of the time, God just reminded me one more time of why we get together as a church and who we are and what we're supposed to be about. Uh, And the place he kept taking me to is that we are to be the face of his grace. You know, Jesus came and he said, listen, I'm telling you the good news of the kingdom. And if you look through scripture and you ask yourself, so what's the good news? What's the unexpected great piece of information that no one was anticipating that Jesus came along and said would actually radicalize people's lives in the best way possible. And it's this, that God is not primarily a God who wants to exercise justice toward us, but that what's really in his heart is grace. And the problem with that is most of us don't actually know what God's grace looks like. But when we, the church, become the face of God's grace, then when we come to church and we're having a difficult time loving ourselves, but the people around us genuinely love us, we can then begin to believe that God might love us. When the people in our world forgive us, we can then begin to believe perhaps God would forgive me. And when the people around me accept me just as I am, we can begin to believe that maybe God would accept me just the way I am. 
And when the people around me partner with me in the changing of my life, as opposed to preaching at me about changing my own life, when the people around me partner with me in the changing of my life, I can begin to believe that perhaps God would partner with me in the changing of my life. And that's what it means to be the face of God's grace. And that's what he's called us to, and it's such a great thing to get to do. So, before I... I'm already teaching, unfortunately. There you go. All right, here we go. Before I jump into what I'm supposed to be teaching this morning, for those of you who are brand new, let me introduce you to a couple of tools. And the first one is this, and that is, if you you can pull it out of your program, it says start here on one side. There's a place for your um, contact information, and on the back side, there's all sorts of uh, places for you to sign up for things, ask for information, submit a prayer request, and so forth. Our pastoral staff, I wrote three words, okay? And that is pastors, partnering, privilege. That's what this card really is. It gives our pastors the opportunity to partner with you in what's going on in your life, and that's a privilege for us. And we love doing that every single week. So if you put your name and contact information on the front of this, and on the back, whatever you want, then when you turn it in at the end of our service, uh, our pastors can partner with you in whatever way would be helpful for you. And the second thing is the sheet of teaching notes. You're going to want to pull those out as we walk through uh, the teaching material for today. So, we're in the last of our series called Belong, Believe, and Behave. And we're going to talk about behavior today. And the big question of the day is, what about my behavior? And so... Let's review just a little bit. Belong, believe, and behave are three topics that all churches have to address in some way. No church would be much of a church if it didn't talk to you a little bit about how you behaved, if it didn't talk to you about what you believed or didn't create any sense of belonging. The question is, what order do we put those in? And we noted that whichever one we put first becomes the dominant culture of the church. And in my notes, I wrote, it actually ends up defining the church and determining its ultimate success or failure. And then the third thing is we talked about the order in which Jesus put them in and he put belong first, believe second, and behavior third for good reason. Now, take a look at this picture. Sooner or later, that's how we all feel. That's how Adam and Eve felt after they sinned and God came walking in the garden and they hid in the bushes because they said, I have a problem here and it's a problem that creates shame in my life. And actually, you know what Adam and Eve were saying? I'm not okay. My behavior makes me not okay with God. It makes me not okay with the people around me and it makes me not okay with myself. I'm actually not okay about much of anything. And I think anytime we come to church and we begin to encounter God, there's this question of, well, what about my behavior? And in order to understand how God approaches behavior, I think it's important for us to understand the basic components of a word that we often use at church called transformation. Because I think oftentimes we talk about transformation, you and I think basically and maybe only in terms of behavior. But when God talks about transformation, he's, talk, he's talking and thinking about something far greater 
than just what you did last night or this morning in the car on the way to church. And so there are actually three major components to transformation. And the first is God wants to forgive and he will forgive my wrong behavior. In other words, he's going to transform my eternal record. Was sitting in a in, in an office the other day and and listening to some people talk, and I, I heard one of them who was a decision maker talking about someone's legal record, and this person says uh, he actually has a four-page long rap sheet. Now, if you're the person they're talking about, that's not good, right? A record. You and I have an eternal record. And the thing that God does in the first step of transformation, because Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, God literally wipes that record clean. He transforms our record. The second thing he does is this. Apparently, he doesn't transform that. There you go. Are you running it from back there? (laughs) Thank you. All right. Here we go. The second thing he does is God replaces my wrong behavior with excellent behavior. That's why you come to church. You say, I want that to happen in my life. Actually, you want both of those to happen in your life. You want to be forgiven and you want to have your... And you want to have your behavior changed. In other words, he transforms my actions. And that's what we're actually going to focus on this morning. And the third thing is this. And this rarely gets talked about. But especially for those of you who came to church with a heavy heart. I want you to understand this. God heals the damage of my wrong behavior. Yeah. He transforms my world. Most of us, by the time we come to church, have so many scars and, and, and a bag so heavy that we're carrying, we wonder, can God do anything with this? And I want you to know that God is a redeeming God, and God loves to look into our lives and find the scars and the holes and the, and the open sores and the wounds and the hurts, and God begins to bandage those up, and God begins to redeem those, and God begins to heal those, and in so doing, he transforms our world. Not just our behavior and not just our record. So having said all that, let's take a look at a couple of verses from the Bible and our Bible teaching. Philippians chapter 1 verse 11 says this, and this is a really insightful verse. Paul writes and says, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Now Paul didn't capitalize that, I did, all right? So, but I want you to focus on fruit. In other words, what does our salvation produce? And he tells us the righteous character produced in you by Jesus. Now listen, the fruit is the outcome of our salvation and it is righteous character. You could sort of put in that place good behavior. That's what he's talking about, the fruit of our salvation. But here's where he talks about the source of it. He said, it is produced in your life by whom? By Jesus Christ. The idea is not that you would become a Christian and now Jesus would tell you all the things that you now need to be doing and all the things that you now should not be doing and it's up to you to make that happen because if you don't, he's not going to be happy with you. That's not the deal. When we come to Christ 
and we decide to follow Christ with our life, and we begin to engage with Jesus, then Jesus begins to produce in our lives righteous behavior. John writes about this and and describes it a little more fully in a verse that Pastor Kevin has taken us to a number of times. And I wanted to refer back to it, and I put some things in brackets to help us grasp the truth of what Jesus was saying. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in, that means if you are engaged with me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now, what did we just learn was the fruit of our salvation? What was it? Righteous character. Righteous character. I'm glad Bill knows. And everybody else. What's the fruit of our salvation? There you are, righteous character. He says, you will bear much fruit, much righteous character. And then Jesus says something that, that ought to just be a giant red flag for all of us to pay attention to. He says, apart from me. That is, if you're disengaged from me. And before I get into that, I want you to understand how oftentimes people who are Christians describe to me engagement. They will say, I don't pastor, I don't go to church, but I still believe in God. And to them, they're saying, I'm still engaged. In other words, I don't hate God, therefore I'm engaged. No, that's not what Jesus was talking about at all. He wasn't talking about, do you still believe in God? Do you still believe in Jesus? Do you still think that Jesus died on the cross to to pay the penalty for your sins? He's not talking about that. He's talking about being engaged. And he says this, apart from me, if you ever find yourself disengaged from me, you can do what? Nothing. Huh. And then he goes on to explain, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it what? Withers. A couple of things. Remain in talks about this interchange between the vine and the branches. It's not talking about just the, that the branches are physically connected to the vine. There's an interchange. In, in, in the botanical world, there, there's a flow of sap. There's an interchange that goes between the vine and the branches. And when he, he says, when that interchange is there, what happens on the branches? There's a lot of fruit. But if the flow, the interchange gets interrupted, what happens on the branch? There's only one possible outcome. When that flow is interrupted or stopped, the branch will wither and die. Now, Jesus didn't say that to you and me to make us afraid. He said that to us because he wants us to know, hey, there is such a great thing if we would engage with God because our lives would begin to produce this beautiful fruit because we are engaged with him. He will begin to produce this fruit in our lives. But if we think for a moment that that's optional, as long as I believe in Jesus, the rest is optional. I'm not saying that you would be lost or go to hell or any of those things. But what I am saying, if you're interested in the beautiful fruit of righteous character, it comes only one place. And it comes from engaging with God.
That's what Jesus was teaching. Now we're going to see that in the story that we have been working our way through. And so I'm going to read a number of segments of that story. It's found in John chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 5. He, Jesus, came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And so we noted last week that he was hungry, he was tired, and he was thirsty. Not a best time for Jesus. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. She's thinking he wants water. He actually wants to, her to engage with him. And uh, he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, most of us guys are pretty simple. Don't tell me your nationality and your gender. Just give me a water. (laughs) I can figure that out just by looking at you. But she's starting to engage with Jesus because she realizes something unusual is going on here. And Jesus said, he replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, oh my goodness. You know what he's talking about? Exactly what we're talking about today. If you knew the gift of transformation that God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Wow. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, speaking of the water that she was about ready to draw from the well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And he explains it. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Focus on that verse. We're going to come back to that, and we're going to see what that is, okay? Please, the woman said, give me this water, then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. So what she's saying what most guys would say, just give me the water and I'll get out of here, right? She's, she's not really willing to engage with Jesus. And so Jesus takes this whole thing in a different direction. He said, go and get your husband. Now, when Jesus is asking for water, and the next thing he's asking for is her husband, you think that might have been a surprise for her? Yeah, what does my husband have to do with getting you a drink of water? Right. But there's a worse thing going on here because she, she says, well, I, I don't actually have a husband. He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. And at that point, the woman is very uncomfortable. And so she says, sir, I think you must be a prophet. So I have a question I want to ask you. And we went into all of that last week. And, 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 she, so the, and Jesus tells her a whole bunch of things which we won't get into today. But later on in the story, after Jesus teaches her, the woman left her water jar beside the well. She ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And the people came streaming from the village to see him. And many of the Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. They begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman this, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves 
Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Fantastic story. We're going to pull a couple of simple points from it. And here they are. First of all, I want you to notice that Jesus was not shocked, not only by the woman's behavior, but by her worst behavior. He wasn't shocked and he wasn't angry. When she said, I don't actually have a husband, he didn't look at her and go, well, you're right, you've had five and that's what I want to talk to you about. You can do better than that. I know you can. No. He didn't lecture her. He wasn't shocked. He didn't go, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I want to drink water from you. None of those things. He wasn't shocked. He wasn't angry. You know what? Do you think his heart went out to her? Do you know how painful it must be to go through five divorces? In a culture where women had no rights? Yeah, his heart went out to her. The second thing I want us to notice is this. Jesus promised her a different source of behavior. Not just an enlightened path for self-improvement. I'm continually amazed at how many times we tend to look at Christianity as an enlightened source of self-improvement path. That we come to church so God can tell us what we should do because if we go out and do what God says we should do, life will work well for us. And if we go out and we don't do what God says we should do, then life will not go well for us. And so I want my life to work for me, so I come to church, so I can learn all the things that I should be doing, so I can go out and do those, so my life will go well for me. That's not all what Jesus promised. Jesus said, if you drink the water I give you, it will become within you the spring of water bubbling over to eternal life. I want to talk about how that happens today. The third thing that I want us to notice out of this is that engagement with Jesus radically transformed all of these people in all three of these areas. Let's start with belonging. You know what they learned in the two days that Jesus spent with them? That Jews belong with Samaritans. That was radical. Second thing they learned is that men actually belong with women. That was equally radical. A third thing that they learned is that sinners actually belong in the presence of God. Huh? Those were huge. When it comes to believing, so much changed in them. The woman asked a question. She said, where should we worship? In this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem? These people had a parochial view of God that you had to find the right place in order to worship God. And Jesus responded to her and said, you know something? It's not the place. It's the people. Because God is looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And she found out, and the whole village found out, that God's not a condemning God who who lays down all these rules and regulations and then just punishes people when they disobey. But he's actually a redeeming God and a healing God And he's actually out actively looking for people who want to engage with him in spirit and in truth. And they went from not knowing who the Messiah was to certainty that Jesus was the Messiah. He transformed how they believed. And their behavior, 
Maybe one of the most notorious sinners in their whole village becomes the evangelist and brings everybody to Jesus. How about that? Yeah. And this group of people who basically were pagan worshipers become this wonderful group of people. Are you ready for this? They said, hey, let's go to church. And guess what? They went to a two-day church service. How about that? That's pretty awesome. Now, if you're like me, there's a question that comes to mind. I got it. I watched Jesus go through that with them. I have read that story. But I'm not going to hold my breath until Jesus comes and sits by the well of Petaluma. (laughs) And I can go out and engage with him. How's this going to work in my life? How can I engage with God in a way that will produce beautiful, righteous fruit in my life? without me having to white-knuckle it and try to do it for him? How can I engage with God in such a way that my record is transformed and my actions are transformed and the damage that's been done in my life by myself and other people can be healed? How can I do that? Well, I want to give us five things, and they're all active in this story. And they're actually our role in this transformation process. And before I lay them out for us, I just want to say this. Today, I'm just going to set the table. We're going to come back to this theme over and over and over again. So I apologize that the next five minutes are going to look very much like a drink out of a fire hose, okay? But if you can just begin to get the basic concepts, and then I trust you, Go home and sit with God about these five because there are five things that you and I can do and they are five things that the people in the story did and it became the genesis of the change in their behavior. So here they are. The first one is this. It's important for me to seek God's heart and not just want him to fix me. You know, when Jesus talked to the woman... And he said, you know, if you knew the gift that God has for you and who you're talking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. What did she say? I'm in, give me the water, I'm out. She just wanted to fix. As much as God loves you, God has no desire to look at your owies, squeeze on a little disinfectant, put a Band-Aid on and say, would you get out now and go fix that? I made sure it won't infect you. You know what God wants? The same thing every one of us want in the relationships of life. We want people's hearts. If I'm going to engage with you in any form that's authentic in any way, I have to come and bring my heart in my hand and, and I have to trust you with my heart. And if you're going to engage with me in any form of authentic way, you have to come with your heart in your hands. And you have to trust me with your heart. Because if you want my heart and I want your heart, it's amazing what we can walk through life together into. So when you come to God, if all you want is just forgive me of my sins and leave me alone, you want to fix 
But that will never produce the righteous fruit in your life that you really want. You have to seek God's heart. Number two is this. You have to embrace God's opinion of yourself above your own. Okay? This woman came to the well, and when she encountered this Jewish man, and when she figured out that he was not just a Jewish man, that he was actually the Messiah, she believed that she had no place with him. That she was actually not worth God investing in. Because after all, look at her track record. She had a rap sheet. And yet Jesus kept engaging her because he wanted her to believe his opinion of her, not her opinion of her, and certainly not the opinion of her first five husbands of her. Can I tell you that when you begin to engage with God and the interchange between you and God begins to flow I don't think I've ever seen an exception to this rule. God will begin to redefine how you look at yourself. It will be scary and amazing all at the same time. The third thing is this. You're going to end up needing to accept yourself right where you are and trust grace without shame. I love what happens in the story because as Jesus has this interchange with her and and we, we only have a brief synopsis of it and I don't know what all took place after the discussion about her five husbands but Jesus communicates to her that he loves her and, and that and that she has a place at the table of God and that her sins can be forgiven and that her life can change and the things that she hates about herself don't have to remain that way, but that God has an answer for that and he can come inside her and begin to change her. She gets so excited. She forgets that she came for water. She leaves her jar right there at the well and she runs back into the town and she forgets that she's got an awful reputation in the town and she starts preaching to the whole town. I love it. You know, I love it because she actually believed about herself what Jesus had taught her. She trusted that God's grace had covered her sins. It's pretty amazing. And you and I will have to learn how to trust grace. I think that most of us will struggle in this area because when I read these truths and I think that God wants to produce this fruit in my life, I'm not sure I trust him to do that. Wouldn't it be better if I produced it for him? Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. But we all have that instant thought, right? Because if I trust myself, at least I can trust myself. I don't know if I can trust God enough that he would actually work in my life and begin to change me from the inside out. But if I go to work on it myself, at least I'll know somebody's working on it. Oh, that's why I have to accept myself right where I am and I have to trust grace. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. 
And the fourth thing is this. I, this is where we'll get a bigger challenge. I have to create margin in my life so I can use it to interact with God. I, I know. The foreign word in there that probably needs some translation is margin. Because most of us don't have that. We think, well, my margin is coming to church. And I hope you don't go overtime today because you're eating into my margin. Yeah. No. Friends, if there's going to be an interchange between the vine and the branches, there has to be margin in our life for us to have that interchange. Did you notice what the people of this town did? They begged Jesus to stay with them. Let's just suppose this was a Thursday and a Friday, this two days. I don't know what those people had on their calendars for that Thursday and that Friday, but I know that whatever they had on their calendars, they wiped it out. And they created two days of margin. Can I just suggest to us that might not be a bad pattern to do once in a while? To create two days of margin? Yeah. Let me pull over to the side of the road for just a minute. I looked ahead. Kevin's going to be back speaking next week. Are you glad to have Kevin back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be awesome. This would be a good time for spontaneous applause. Isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can tell you, I looked ahead in the sermon series. I can't wait to hear it. It's going to be so, so good. Okay? I even wrote down what it is. Are you ready for this? It's called Garden City. Work, rest, and the art of being human. It's going to be so good. There are at least two sermons in there on the Sabbath. I, I, golly, margin. If you have no margin, you will not have interchange. Everybody on board with that? For some of us, that's going to mean changing our schedule, okay? And then the fifth thing is this. To focus on setting the environment of transportation, of transformation, instead of trying to produce the behavioral change ourselves. If we put ourselves in the right setting, God begins to transform our internal workings and we become motivated for this righteous behavior instead of trying to white knuckle this this righteous behavior it, it's radically different than probably what we've ever heard because most of us have have probably defaulted toward a religious fix as opposed to internal transformation that leads to righteous behavior what about these people when the woman said, come and see, guess what they did? They streamed out of the city. Why? Because they understood if we're going to engage with God, we got to go where we can meet with Him. Put yourself in those settings. I'll give you a couple of those in a minute. As we close, let's go to a, a, a closing thought. Transformation is a dance between God's provision and my own free will. I know the righteous behavior is produced in us by Jesus, but he will not force it on us. There's a dance. And I want you to know two principles about this dance. And the first thing is, every dance in the world 
that, that's got two people in it is a lead and respond kind of process. Where the leader just moves and the partner responds. It's no different with God. God is the leading partner, and as God leads and we respond, there's a beautiful dance that takes place, and it transforms our lives. Now, if you've ever seen people try to dance, and and the person leading knew what they were doing, but the person responding simply never responded, how much dance took place? Not much. No. Because it's a lead and respond thing. That's how God does with us. Take a look at this chart. God gives us a thought. By the way, you could put in there, life throws at us an event that we don't understand. It could be anything. But now we have this thing that actually it becomes transformational if I process it with God. And that may be in the form of, you see the lightning bolt, it might make me angry. I don't like the fact that this took place in my life. I don't like how this looks. I don't like the diagnosis I got from the doctor. I don't like how my husband is treating me. I don't like it that my kids are like my spouse and not like me, right? Which means ill-behaved and not behaved, right? That's how we look at that. Yes. Could be all sorts of things that we don't like. The next thing is we could question with God. Yeah, we can actually question God and say, why? And what am I supposed to learn? And how is this supposed to work? And why is it not working the way that I think it should work? And why does it look so easy in other people's lives? But it seems so hard in my life. And why do I try what they tried, but it works for them, but it doesn't work for me? Have you ever had those thoughts? All of us have had those thoughts. But if we do the interchange with the mind, there's some amazing stuff. That begins to happen. We can go to the Bible and look for insight. That's why the Bible's up there. We can take it to our life group. That's why the two people are talking. We can actually experiment with God. We will come back to this chart over and over and over again because this is what the interchange, this is what the lead and respond process looks like. But the next thing I want to tell you is probably the most revolutionary thing. I want you to understand in this dance of life, that God is not just my dance instructor. He's my dance partner. That, my friends, is amazing. If you've ever taken a dance lesson and you and your partner are out there and neither of you dance very well and the instructor is telling you what to do, go here, go there, put your right foot here, put your left foot there. No, no, not on the count of two. Do it on the count of three. No, 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 not that direction, the other direction. And the next thing you know, you're just like, you're ready to give up And then the dance instructor says, here, let me do this with you. And the dance instructor puts you in hold and begins to move. It's amazing how much simpler that is. Can I tell you in this great experience of life that God has no desire to be your dance instructor on the sidelines barking out commands for you. He steps into the arena and he says to you and me, Step into my hold. And let's do this together. And that's the good news. And that's how our behavior changes. As we close, there are, I've got three different suggested things. 
that you can do, but there are so many. First of all, you could take all five of those things that we just went through, and you could go sit with God on any one of those five. We could preach an entire sermon series out of any of those five. Uh, So go sit with God about that. But for some of us, making a first-time decision to become a Christian, I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to give you a simple prayer in just a minute. But that's how you start this dance with the God who wants to transform your life. The second thing is, some of us need to make a commitment to be at church at least three times a month. Can, can I say a pastorly thing here? Are you ready for this? According to virtually every survey that I've seen in the last decade, when you interview people in the street and you ask them, are you a regular church goer? And they respond, yes. If you actually look at their calendar, do you know how many times a month they go to church? These are sort of people who say, yep, I'm in. I go every Sunday. Guess how many times? 1.9 per month. That's the difference between how we perceive ourselves and what we're actually doing. Now, this is not, this is not a sermon on church attendance where I'm going to shake my finger at you, but I want you to hear me clearly. Okay? If you want your life to change, you have to put yourself in the setting where you can engage with God correctly. 1.9 times a month is probably not going to get that done. Make sense? Yeah. So here's my challenge. Go home and get your calendar and take the rest of the year and work at saying, how can I be in church three times every month for the rest of this year? And count them off. Because that's how you make it a priority. When you make it a priority, you'll be here. And when you're here, God can have this beautiful and rich interchange with you. By the way, that's just one way. But it's a great way. Okay? Second, uh, Last of all, I'll join a life group this fall. And that that's an awesome thing. A month from right now, a month from this Sunday, we crank up enrollment in life groups for the fall. Are you ready for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm ready for that too. So just make up your mind now. Hey, I am not going to miss out on life groups. I'm going to, I'm going to join a life group and I'm going to put myself in the setting where this interchange with God can happen in my life. And if you come to church three times a month and you go to your life group three times a month, you'll just be amazed at how your life will begin to change. Fair enough? All right. For those of you who are ready to make the decision to follow Christ with your life, you're ready to say, okay, I'm ready to join the vine and begin that interchange. Here's the prayer that you pray. You can pray it in the quietness of your heart right where you are. It's all about our heads. Here's the prayer. God, thank you that you love me enough that you actually want to forgive me and you actually want to change my life and that I matter to you. God, I'm so grateful. Thank you, Jesus, for providing the way for this to happen. God, I accept your offer of forgiveness and transformation right this minute. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.